0: marketing wizards found them software engineers found that project manager i could never seem to hire and found linkedin jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience in fact 86 percent of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com spoken that's linkedin.com spoken terms and conditions apply
1: what's up you guys i'm Haley, and i'm andrea and this is inhuman a true crime podcast Okay, welcome back, everybody. If you haven't listened to Monday's episode, you need to go listen to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrea did a solo episode because I wasn't feeling well, and when I listened to it on Monday morning, I had no clue what the case was, and I was, like, so invested and shook and, like, replying (laughs) to her in my head. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it because it's really good.
0: I was really surprised because so many people responded about that case and, like, how crazy it is. We even got an email about it from Lisa. So shout out to Lisa for that. But yeah, I might have to dig and find some more cases similar to that because there was a good, a positive feedback of sorts. Yeah, <laughs>
1: No, it was crazy. And it's kind of like, like you were saying, it's like different than what we normally do, but it was kind of nice, a little bit lighter. Good story. Cali
0: cleanser. Yeah. Yeah. And it's remarkable. So I just had to it share is. it.
1: Yeah. Well, today we are going to be talking about... Not so nice of a case, but it is solved. So we're going to be talking about the disappearance and murder of Sherry Ayerly. And this was suggested by Beth. So thank you, Beth, for the suggestion.
0: Yes, thank you.
1: Around 10.30 p.m. on Sunday, July 4th, 1982, a man lighting fireworks near Farragate South Street in Salem, Oregon, noticed a car that looked to be abandoned. So he moved closer and he noticed that it was a Domino's pizza delivery car. the engine in the car was running the lights were on and the driver's side door was wide open and then there were pizza boxes on the road next to the car oh my god some sources say that the boxes were inside the car but more sources say that they were like outside the car on the road so that's what i'm going with okay so this car was just it looked like somebody had gotten out and just left it but the driver was nowhere to be seen so this man called the police, and they were able to pretty quickly put together that this car was driven by a Domino's employee named Sherry Airely. Mm. So Sherry Melissa Airly was born on December 6, 1983 in Salem, Oregon, and she lived in Salem with her parents, Linda and Steve, until she graduated high school in June 1982. And after graduating, she decided to move into an apartment with her cousin because she you know, wanted to be independent now that she was done with high school and so she began working at domino's to make a living while deciding you know what she wanted to do with her life
0: okay that makes sense i mean i feel like a lot of us do that when we're trying to figure out the next step exactly so the evening of july
1: 4th was a busy night for domino's as you can imagine if you're Mm -hmm. in the u.s july 4th is always crazy for pizza delivery because people just want easy food coming to their home um (laughs) So it was a really busy night, and Sherry was actually not supposed to work that night, but she was called Uh, in because they needed more help. No, I hate that. I know. So at first, it was a normal night delivering pizzas. You know, busy night, but totally normal work night. And Sherry thought nothing of it when a call came in for three large pizzas. So this caller gave a phone number and an address on River Haven Drive South. So Sherry left Domino's at 9.30 p.m. And an hour later, her car was found abandoned on Farragate South Street, about 1.3 miles away from the address given by the caller. And so I'll post a photo of a map on our Instagram and Facebook showing where her car was found versus where she was supposed to be delivering to. So you guys can get a visual of this. Okay. So when investigators started looking into it into this, they pretty quickly figured out that the address that Sherry was supposed to be delivering to was fake. So oh, there had once been a house at that address, but it had been destroyed years earlier, so there was nothing there.
0: Okay, that's scary.
1: Yeah. The phone number for the order was for a local hotel, so mm. didn't lead to anyone and the caller had given a fake name so they had no clue who had actually placed this order so investigators found a footprint across one of the pizza boxes and then they found sherry's hat a few hundred feet away from the car but other than that there was no sign of sherry okay searches for her began immediately friends and family joined in Ground searches, there were search dogs, helicopters, everything they could to try to find Sherry. And it was pretty quick that this all happened. You know, her car was discovered. They pretty quickly figured out that it was hers, that she was supposed to be delivering a pizza to a fake address, and they started searching for her. So it didn't take long. That's good. Investigators shared information about two vehicles that had been seen in the area around the time Sherry was there. So these were a do- dark Monte Carlo and a lime green pickup truck. But other than that, they had no eyewitnesses and no other information. And there was a $6,000 reward set up for information, but nothing that came in led anywhere and Sherry was not found. Okay. So, of course, several theories developed pretty early on. The owner of the Dominoes that Sherry worked at initially speculated that she had left voluntarily since she like wasn't found. Yeah. They were like, well, maybe she just wanted to leave. No. But investigators and her family and much of the public were adamant that that was not the case and that foul play was involved, especially yeah. with how the car was just abandoned on this road. The
0: door was like, open. Like, Yeah,
1: none of she didn't take any of her belongings with her. Like, there is no way that
0: I hate that when they just automatically just assume that yeah even though all the evidence points to foul play
1: <laughs> yeah i know it's wild. i wonder if like the domino's owner was and this is just speculation on my part but i wonder if they were trying to be like well it's not like our fault but nobody's gonna blame yeah. domino's because it's not i mean maybe all delivery places should have some sort of check to make sure that the address yeah. they're going to is a house but like it that's not 80s, anybody's fault yeah can, exactly yeah. so so yeah there was another theory that robbery was what caused this but that was ruled out because at the time Domino's drivers were known to not carry much cash and nothing was taken from the car so they were like no this wasn't a robbery okay by august investigators were really looking into their first suspect so this was a man named daryl j wilson and wilson's sister-in-law dawn worked with sherry's mom so a small connection, but nothing major. And Wilson initially denied even knowing Sherry, but then he later admitted that he had met her once at a party.
0: That's, uh, that's always suspicious. Like, just be up front or everything's yeah. going to point guilt at you.
1: Yeah, like they're going to figure it out. Come yeah. on. And then when they find out you lied, you look even guiltier. Mm-hmm. So on the night that Sherry disappeared... Wilson was reportedly camping at Elkhorn Lake which, Lake, which was about 46 miles east of Salem. But witnesses report that he was gone from the campground from 6.30 p.m. to 3.30 a.m. that night. And so they were kind of like, that's kind of weird because she that's around when she disappeared. Right. And also, he had a truck that closely matched the description of the truck the police had shared. And not long after... That description was shared with the public he'd painted the truck mm. so definitely very suspicious and he also refused to take a polygraph test which I don't know because I, I feel like I might <laughs> refuse to take a polygraph test but just wanted to mention that yeah Now, Wilson also had a connection to another missing girl. So his sister-in-law's younger sister, nine-year-old Danielle Good, went missing from her home on July 31st. Oh, wow. And he was a suspect in that as well.
0: And he was, I guess, eventually ruled out or they just never...
1: So she was found in February 1983, seven months after she disappeared... She was dead, she had been murdered, and she was found off of a rural road in Salem, and police immediately suspected Wilson, but to this day, her murder remains unsolved. Oh, shit. So, investigators did question Wilson about Sherry's disappearance, and the last time they questioned him was the morning of August 21st, 1982, and later that afternoon, he was found dead in his home he had taken his own life okay Hmm. so that's why danielle's murder technically remains unsolved because they couldn't question him yeah to even like see if they connect him so he is a suspect in that murder but because they can't definitively say it's him and they can't question him or find out more it's unsolved
0: Hmm. that's awful but probably he's responsible yeah it's definitely suspicious yeah yeah
1: So after Wilson's death, the Marion County District Attorney announced that he was the prime suspect in Sherry's disappearance. However, they could not find any evidence linking him to Sherry, including when searching his truck. So they didn't find anything in his truck that could link him. But that being said, he did take the time and effort to paint his truck. So he likely cleaned it very well. Yeah. And this is the 80s. They might have not had as much technology to find everything. So that doesn't definitively rule him out.
0: And he could have had it professionally cleaned for all they Mm -hmm. know, which they could have gotten rid of all the evidence because they usually do a pretty good job.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So didn't fully rule him out. After Danielle was discovered in February 1983, police began suspecting Wilson even more. In Sherry's case. So they started doing searches in a swimming hole that Wilson was known to frequent. But again, nothing was found. And he remained a suspect in Sherry's disappearance. But they couldn't definitively link him. And he was no longer alive to continue questioning him. Right. So he was still a suspect. But they also started looking into more theories. Because there wasn't anything linking him technically other than a couple... Sort of circumstantial, but even that circumstantial evidence is shaky, right? In 1983, the Marion County Sheriff Detective Jay Boutwell theorized that Sherry may have known her abductor. So they speculated this because of how her like car door was open and her car was left running, so maybe she got out of her car. and they speculated that she may have been killed because she knew too much about something possibly related to drugs. Okay. So the other reason that they thought that she knew her abductor was because the car, the parking brake had been set on the car. So if somebody had like gone up to her car and pulled her out, the parking brake wouldn't be set. She would have just been pulled out. But because it was set, it was believed that she like pulled up, parked, and then got out of the car. Okay. But despite the speculation, there were no real leads. And by 1985, Sherry's case was going cold. She was presumed dead, and her family began to accept that fact, and they placed a memorial in the place where she was last thought to have been. And I'll share a photo of that to our Instagram and Facebook as well, because it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Sherry's case remained cold for the next 20 years. Dang. So over that time, there were new leads that were being followed up on, but the case was practically untouched from 1985 until 2005 so at in 2005 the marion marion county sheriff department had recently started a new cold case squad so they decided to reopen sherry's case you know it had never been officially closed but it basically wasn't being investigated anymore so they reopened her case and they were determined to find out what had happened to her So they began conducting interviews and following up on both old and new leads. So they basically were like investigating from the start. They didn't take anything that was done in 19 in the 1980s as this means this suspect is completely out. Right. And that's when they came across a new suspect that had never been, well, had kind of been looked into. But I'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, And this was a man named William Smith. So William Scott Smith, a poor excuse for a human, was born on April 26, 1959 in Portland, Oregon. He dropped out of high school and by the age of 18, he was unemployed and getting into trouble with the law. By, or in 1978, he was convicted of his first crime, menacing charges, which is basically like threatening someone. There's okay. more to it, but that's basically what it is. That same year, he was convicted of second-degree burglary in Salem, and he was sentenced to one year in prison. The next year, after being let out of prison, both Smith and another man were accused of second-degree sexual assault, but Smith was ultimately acquitted, and his accomplice was the one that went to jail. In 1981, William Smith was in Boise, Idaho, where he was convicted of indecent exposure. Ew. And by the next year still in Idaho he was questioned about the unsolved murder of 14 year old Lisa Chambers and so after being questioned about this he decided to leave Idaho and return to Salem Oregon and he was never connected to Lisa's murder Okay, but he was back in Salem Oregon and Sherry disappeared from, in, from Salem in July 1982 on February 19th 1984, seven months after Sherry's disappearance, 21-year-old Rebecca Ann Darling was reported missing. So she had been working overnight at a Circle K store, and when her coworkers showed up in the morning, she wasn't there. So her car was still in the parking lot, and her purse, keys, and coat were still inside the store, but she wasn't there. So this immediately indicated that she didn't leave on her own. Right. There was no sign of a struggle inside the store and nothing was stolen so the only thing missing from the store was rebecca a search for rebecca immediately began but no sign of her was found and she had essentially disappeared in the middle of the night and nobody knew what happened to her just over a month later on march 25th a farmer was tending to his cows along the little pudding river when he spotted a body So this body had been severely decomposed after being in the water and getting stuck in some brush. And investigators immediately knew this person had been murdered, but they had no way at first to identify the remains because of the state of, the, of decomposition. And at oh, first, geez. when they first found the body, they didn't even know what gender the person was.
0: Oh my God, that's horrifying.
1: Thankfully, it only took two days for the medical examiner to identify the body as Rebecca Darling. She had been strangled to death. So once they identified Rebecca, police released a composite sketch of a man that they wanted to question. So this man had talked to Rebecca three times during her shift on the day she disappeared. He was like, kept talking to her. He asked her name, Mm. but they had no way to identify this man. So that's why they created the composite sketch. Right. Three weeks after Rebecca was found, another young girl in the area went missing. 18-year-old Catherine Redmond was a freshman at Willamette University in Salem, and she had left a frat party at around 2.15 a.m. on April 7th. Two hours after she left, the car she was driving was found abandoned on the road, and friends and family were immediately worried, thinking she had been kidnapped. Searches for her began, and unfortunately, four days later, her body was found in a forested area outside of Salem, and Catherine had been strangled and sexually assaulted.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So, witnesses reported seeing a late 1960s Pontiac station wagon in the area where Catherine's car was found around when it was abandoned. And another witness reported being hit by a similar car a few days earlier, and this woman had refused to get out of the car because the driver basically was like, come check for the damages. And the woman was like, why don't we go to a nearby gas station and, did that, and do that? And the man got angry and then he just drove off. So what? this woman was like, thank goodness she yeah. didn't get out of the car. Right. By April 18th, a week after Catherine was found, investigators were focusing on one suspect, William Smith. So he was 24 years old at the time, and as we talked about, he had a relatively extensive criminal record for harassment against women. He also owned a similar car to the one that was seen, and in the early morning of April 7th, after Rebecca disappeared, he had called a tow truck to help him get out of a ditch that he was stuck in, and this was pretty close to where Catherine's car was abandoned. Oh, So he was being questioned, but the district attorney didn't give his name out to the public because at first they couldn't get him on a serious charge. So they didn't want to share out his name in connection to this case until they had something.
0: That makes sense.
1: But that didn't take too long because on April 23rd, William Smith pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge. So he had been making harassing phone calls to a 20 20 year old woman in Salem in January 1984 so he pled guilty to that and he was set to serve 180 days but before he could be he was charged with murdering Rebecca Darling and Catherine Redmond
0: what?
1: so while he was being questioned he ended up confessing to Dang. killing both girls good So he had no real motive that he shared, but the information that he gave was accurate to what was found from both of the investigations, so they knew that he was the guy. Before his trial, he was evaluated by two psychiatrists to see if he would be fit to stand trial, and he was found fit to stand trial, and one of the psychiatrists described him as a, quote, sexually sadistic serial killer, an extreme danger who who was likely to re-offend.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: On July 9th, nineteen eighty four, William Smith was found guilty of the murders of both Rebecca Darling and Katherine Redmond. Justice Val D. Slopers sentenced him to two consecutive life terms with the possibility of parole after 20 years. So this piece of shit was now in jail and would likely be in jail the rest of his life. But there were two other crimes that he had potential potential connections to,
0: right? So
1: early on in the investigation into Sherry uh, Ayerly's disappearance, William Smith had actually been on investigators radar, but he had an alibi. He was working as a long haul trucker at the time, and he was on the road the night of Sherry's disappearance. So once they Mm -hmm. learned about this alibi, he wasn't looked into any further. Okay. But in 2005, the new cold case team decided to look into him a bit more. So they weren't going to leave any stone unturned, and they believed initially they'd be able to rule him out from his alibi, but they just wanted to confirm his alibi before moving on. Right. And that's when they realized that he actually couldn't be ruled out from his alibi alone because he was on the road at that time. But on the night of July 4th, he had been stopped by police in Silverton, which was just 15 miles away from Salem.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking, too. He was close. Yes, he was working, but he was still close.
1: Mm-hmm. In 2006, Smith was in prison serving time for the other murders, and investigators decided to visit him because now they know he was actually near Salem that night. And at first, he refused to talk, but they incentivized him by offering for him to be moved to another prison. And that worked because... When he started talking to them, he confessed to murdering Sherry. Wow. So he claimed that he had an accomplice who hatched a plan to kidnap a Domino's employee for ransom. And he said that they actually had a specific employee they wanted to kidnap, but instead, Sherry was the one delivering the pizzas that night. Oh, because she was not supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So Smith admitted that when Sherry drove up, he flagged her down. She got out and went to grab the pizzas to give them to him, and his accomplice grabbed her and dragged her into his truck. Smith ended up strangling Sherry along the Little Pudding River, and he dumped her body there, which is the same river where Rebecca and Catherine were dumped. Unfortunately, that river has flooded several times since 1982, so it's unlikely that her body will ever be found. Uh. It was then revealed that the day after Sherry disappeared, an accomplice, the accomplice that Smith had named, Roger Nosef, had made a ransom call to Domino's. And apparently at the time, nothing was done about the ransom call and the caller never followed up. But Smith, so Smith claimed that Roger Nosef was the one who ordered the pizzas, organized the kidnapping, but Smith was the one who killed her.
0: I wonder if their initial plan was to kill her or just hold her for ransom. And then because he's a murderer.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's exactly what happened. And that's why Roger never followed up on the ransom call because it was like, well, now we can't really do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Roger Nosef had died two years before this was all found out in 2003, so he could never be charged.
0: Damn, that sucks. That really, that's that's not, that's injustice.
1: Yeah, agreed. Especially because it was, like, so close. Yeah. But on December 18th, 2007, 25 years after Sherry's disappearance, William Smith pled guilty to Sherry's murder, and was sentenced to a third life sentence. Damn. And she had finally gotten justice. Her body has still never been found, and like I said, it likely won't be. But when she disappeared, she was about 5'2", 100 pounds. She had brown hair and blue eyes and was wearing a red, white, and blue Domino's shirt and blue jeans, and she was 18 years old. That's so awful. I know. And Then, in... October of 2012, William Smith came forward and confessed to another murder.
0: I was waiting for that. Yeah. I was waiting for that.
1: So about a year and a half before Sherry's disappearance, on February 12th, 1981, 21-year-old Terry Monroe disappeared. Mm-hmm. So Terry had gone to the Oregon Museum Tavern with some friends that day, and she went outside to get a breath of fresh air, but she never came back inside. So her friends assumed she left, and the next day, when she didn't show up for work, her friends and family immediately knew something was wrong. So she was reported missing, and a search for her began. And two hours into the search, Terry's clothes and personal documents were found on the banks of the Willamette River. But Terry was nowhere to be found. Unfortunately, a month later, on March 15th, Terry's body was found in the river, stuck on debris, And she had been strangled to death. Her case went cold really quickly because police had no suspects, no witnesses, no evidence, nothing. And her case remained cold until William Smith confessed in 2012, 31 years later.
0: Wow. I wonder what made him confess.
1: So he was being looked into in connection to her case by that Salem cold case unit. And he was questioned about her murder. And that's when he confessed. So I don't know how exactly they connected him to it, maybe yeah. just because of all the similar crimes he had committed, but he was questioned, and he once again confessed.:
0: Wow, we need to get this team on some other cases.
1: <laughs> I know, right? They' across on top the whole like
0: US. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Smith received another life sentence for her murder, and he remains in prison to this day. So this sick son of a bitch murdered four women and is suspected of murdering more. Right. And his real motive has never been revealed. Like, a few of them were sexually assaulted. But other than that, he was just a sadistic murderer. just wanted murderer. to do
0: it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I, got- I gathered from that. He just wanted to kill them.
1: Yeah. Sherry is described as beautiful inside and out. Her cousin saying in a blog that she touched everyone she met. She was kind and loving and had a bright future ahead of her and her life was taken way too soon. Thankfully, Sherry, Rebecca, Catherine, and Terry all got justice, but so many don't. And that will always break my heart. So this is just a reminder to you all that if you see something, say something because you never know who you may be helping. And that is the solved murder of Sherry Ayerly And it just is so heartbreaking and so frustrating that it took so long to get justice for her and that the other person involved couldn't be convicted, but at least somebody was and at least her family knows what happens, even though her body will likely never be found.
0: And I guess they never connected the original person or suspect that, that committed or that killed himself Yeah, they they never never were. Yeah.
1: No, and they kind of, after his death, I think they kind of started moving on from him since there were no connections. Yeah. But he is believed to be the person who killed nine-year-old Danielle. Right. But unfortunately, because he's dead, he can't ever be charged. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking, but, you know, we have to keep fighting for justice. Sherry got justice 21 years later. Terry got justice 31 years later. So it just you know, there's, there's always hope. And these cases, you just never know what can be solved. So thank you all so much for listening. We will catch up with you on Monday. And until then, keep it human.